Next week, uh, our pastoral assistant, Wayne, is going to finish up our series on Proverbs. He is going to look at the topic of work. And then, believe it or not, already the following Sunday brings us to the first Sunday of Advent. But real quick, uh, if you haven't been around, the book of Proverbs is one of the books in the Old Testament that we label as wisdom literature. And the wisdom literature in the Bible is concerned with helping us to navigate life well. It's focused on the practical life. The goal is to help us to flourish in the everyday stuff of life. Uh, Something that I've been saying throughout this series as we've introduced each and every sermon is that Proverbs increases our street smarts. And so over these weeks, Proverbs has been our tour guide uh, of life, pointing out what is real and true uh, in the world of people, places, and things. And we've walked through some of the primary themes of Proverbs. We've uh, looked at wisdom, folly, uh, temptation, justice, speech, uh, and now planning. Um, And What I want to do now is I want to read the same passage that we read last week, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. That's the passage that's printed in the worship guide. We're going to use this as a springboard to re-enter into uh, this topic of planning and decision-making. So let me read these verses for us. Proverbs 16, 1 through 9. The plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Open the word to us this morning. We pray that you would make us wise. We thank you for the gift of the word. We thank you for the gift of wisdom literature in particular. And we pray that you would reveal truth to us as we look into this section of scripture this morning. Uh, We pray that you would teach us regardless of where we are right now, believing, disbelieving, unsure of what we believe. Guide us into truth. Again, make us wise, we pray, for our good, but ultimately, and most especially, for your glory. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Have you ever felt stuck? Stuck because you faced an important decision, and you just didn't know what to do. Have you ever found yourself at a crossroads and not known which path to take? Of course you have. I have, you have, this is common to all of us. We are constantly faced with and wrestle with questions all the time, such as, should I take this job or that job? 
sell the house or stay? Send my children to this school or another one? Stay the course or take an alternate route to work this morning? And some of you maybe chose wrongly on Thursday with the snow, and you paid the price. Order the number one or the number two from the value menu. (laughs) Making decisions is a part of life, whether we like it or not. From the simple uh, decisions to the more complex decisions of life. We all face this, and we all struggle with this. It brings tension and stress into the lives of all of us. And as I shared last week at the the beginning of the sermon, in the introduction, um, this is true of me. There are many times in my life, and I pointed to a particular season of life for me. I was early on in seminary, and Katie and I were newly married, and it just seemed like we had one big decision after another. But what sometimes happens, at least to me, is that I, I, I get paralyzed. I, I don't know which path to take. I don't know what to do. And so I wonder, I wonder, does the Bible speak to this? Does the book of Proverbs in particular offer us any wisdom to help us navigate the decision-making process in life? And I'm guessing you know the answer to this because you know that there is a sermon that is about to follow. The answer is yes. Proverbs does speak to this area of life, of decision-making and planning. And so what I want to do in our remaining time is I want to um, draw from different passages in the book of Proverbs to help give us some principles when it comes to making decisions in life. And we're going to look at four principles. And guess what? They all start with S to make it easier for you. Slow down, submit to God, seek counsel, and surrender control. Slow down, submit to God, seek counsel, and surrender control. Let's start with slow down. Proverbs 19.2 says this. Well, what I'm about to say, I have, the wrong, I have a verse from last week in there, so I'm going to have to look this up. Proverbs 19.2 says this, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Let me read it again. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way a warning about going too fast in life. Proverbs 21.5, Proverbs 21.5 says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Now, here's the deal. With each of these four principles that we're going to look at, it was somewhat overwhelming to condense the list of scripture references from Proverbs. Uh, I mean, seriously, I could have used probably at least 10 under each principle, uh, but I, I chose two, maybe three. I, I can't remember exactly as we get into some of the later principles. But uh, again, Proverbs speaks to all of this stuff, and it speaks with great wealth, well, great wealth of, of wisdom. And here in just these two references that I've read, Proverbs 19.2 and Proverbs 21.5, it's a warning against being too hasty in life. It's a warning about going too quickly 
in life. In other words, we could say, slow down. If we want to grow in wisdom when it comes to making plans and making decisions, we must slow down. We touched on this last week. Now, let me just remind you, though, of how Proverbs work. Works. We talked about this in the first week of the series when we were talking generally about wisdom, but I think this is really important because you might walk away from what I just said and conclude this, that, okay, whenever I go slow in the decision-making process, the outcome will be a wise decision. But whenever I rush in the decision-making process, I will make an unwise decision. That is not necessarily true. Sometimes in life, you can go really fast through the decision-making process and end up making a wise choice, a wise decision. And sometimes you can go really slow in the decision-making process and end up making an unwise decision. You see, Proverbs, while it speaks to the particularities of life, often speaks in generalities. What I mean by that is here, take this point that we're making, Proverbs is saying this, in general... All right? In general, if you slow down in the decision-making process, you will most likely make wiser decisions. It's a general principle. It doesn't always hold true. And that's why when you look at the book of Proverbs with various topics, you'll see a proverb that speaks to, the, to the, a, a topic, and it will say one thing, and then maybe... Uh, in another place in the book, speaking about the same topic, it seems to contradict it. Well, it's not necessarily contradicting it. It's a different context. It's applying it differently. So I, I just want to throw that out there. I mean, it, this is true for all of these principles that it doesn't always hold true. There are always exceptions. And one of the biggest exceptions is the fact that we live in a fallen world where things do not operate the way that they should. All right? But slow down. This is a must if we want to grow in becoming wiser decision makers. Why is slowing down such a critical principle in the decision making process? Well, slowing down allows you to weigh your motives. This is really important, isn't it? Sometimes we are rushing through life and we aren't giving consideration of our motives. And we end up making decisions or we end up making plans with really flawed motives, with really selfish motives in play. And oftentimes, we are not even aware of it. Now, sometimes we might be aware of it. And we still, I mean, we're, we're bent, right? We're bent toward, toward sin when it comes to our sinful nature. And part of the work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is we've, we become new and we um, are made straight increasingly in terms of our ability to know right and wrong and grow in wisdom. Um, so sometimes we do still make decisions that we know are selfish, but we still do it with flawed motives. But sometimes we do that simply because we haven't reflected. We haven't done examination. We haven't processed. We're moving too quickly, and so we make this decision, we make that decision, and our motives are really messed up. They're really flawed, but we're not aware of it. 
And so slowing down helps us to weigh our motives. Slowing down also helps us to examine past decisions. This is important as well. We can look back. I mean, maybe it's the same area of life or maybe it's a different area of life. Let's just take um, relationships, for example. And let's say that you are in a relationship and you end it because the character of the other person um, in a certain way is just flawed and you know it and you know it's not wise for you to be in this relationship any longer. Well, potentially, if you're rushing through life and you don't really pause to reflect on that and to examine that past decision and give consideration to how you might make decisions in, uh, in relationship to relationships differently in the future, you may end up, now this might speak to some of you, end up in a relationship with the same kind of person over and over again. And part of it, not, not all of it, part of it could be this idea of not slowing down to examine and process and reflect. Slowing down also gives us the opportunity to consider possible outcomes. So we're faced maybe with, um, let's say, two possibilities, going down two different paths. When we slow down and process, we can give thought to, well, if I go down this path, here's what might happen. It might affect this relationship in this way, and this might happen. We could connect the dots a little bit. We, we, we don't know the future, right? We, we, we can't control it, but the application of wisdom through slowing down enables us to consider possible outcomes. And what can happen sometimes is we realize, oh, I didn't even realize this until I slowed down to give it thought, but if I go down this path, it's going to really hurt this person. Or I didn't even give consideration to this side effect. That's not going to be good for me. So slowing down is an important part of the decision-making process. What slowing down also can help cultivate is a deep interior life. A deep interior life. And what I mean by that is it puts us on a pathway. It puts us into a process of becoming deep people. Now, I know that's still pretty broad in general, but I just want you to consider that word, deep I, I really want to be a deep person. I really do. I, I want to be a person of substance at the core of who I am. And I know that deep down inside, you want that as well. Well, that doesn't just happen automatically. It doesn't just happen overnight. Part of what needs to happen is we have to slow down in life. The definition of wisdom that we've been using is this, that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. We cannot develop this skill by rushing through life. Because here's the question that we need to always be coming back to. What kind of person am I becoming? What kind of person am I becoming? And we want quick fixes to this. Um, we want to grow. We want to become deep. But usually we want, to, we want it to happen automatically. 
We want it to just happen instantaneously, and it doesn't work that way. What kind of person am I becoming should be the question that we are regularly asking. And in order to be able to, first of all, ask that question, we have to be slowing down, but especially to be able to begin to reflect on answers to that question, we must be slowing down. And here's why this is important. And we said something like this in the the first sermon of the series. Character shapes behavior, and behavior shapes character. Character shapes behavior, and behavior shapes character. Another way of saying this, who we are shapes what we do, but what we do also shapes who we are. Now, the theme that we've been hitting on constantly throughout this series is this idea that character shapes behavior, that who we are shapes what we do. But it's also true that behavior shapes character, that what we do shapes who we are. And here's why this is so important. If we are just breezing through life, if we are just rushing through life, we're constantly making decisions, we're constantly making choices, and those choices, whether we realize it or not, are shaping us into a certain kind of person. What kind of person are you becoming? C.S. Lewis says it this way, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with others and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Slow down. In order to become a person with a deep interior life, in order to become a person who is reflecting on the kind of person that you are becoming, you must slow down. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. Submit to God. Proverbs 16.3, from the passage that I read um, for the scripture reading, a, a verse that we looked at last week. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord. And last week, we pointed out that this word commit, it literally means to roll onto, to put your weight, to put all your weight into something. It's saying that if you do this in your life and you will become the kind of person who makes wise decisions and plans. Remember that if you were here last week? Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. It's not that your necessarily your plans or your um, perception of your plans will be established. It's that God's plans will become your plans. And therefore, God's plans will be established. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. If you've grown up in the church, if you've had any exposure to the Bible, there's a good chance you've heard these verses before. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. 
So Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord. Proverbs 3.6, acknowledge him. Submit to God in the decision-making process. Submit to God. James in the New Testament is considered actually a form of wisdom literature. And in James chapter 4, James has these words of wisdom for us. Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now, James and the Bible as a whole is not telling us, don't plan. All right? That's not what it's saying. So that that would actually be foolish. That would be folly to walk away from Scripture and to say, okay, I'm not supposed to plan anything in my life. I'm supposed to just go with it and trust God's will. That is not the application of this passage. The context is that it's speaking to living life apart from God. It's speaking to this posture, this approach to life in which we seek to manage life apart from any help from the outside. It's this mentality that we can do it on our own. We can figure it out. We'll make our plans without reference to God. That's what is being challenged here. But Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord. Proverbs 3.6, acknowledge Him. The first point, the first principle, slowing down, helps us to cultivate, cultivate a deep interior life. This principle of submitting to God helps us to cultivate a deep life with God. And when we do that, they become one and the same. Our deep interior life actually is the byproduct of a deep life with God. There's no substitute for this. No substitute. And if we don't do this, we're always playing catch-up. Here's what I mean. Not catch-up as in like Heinz, um, but catch-up in trying to catch-up with something. Um, Here's what I mean by this, and I'm guilty of this often in my own life. You're faced with a big decision. And, you know, you can define how big it is. But you're faced with a decision. That's important. And you realize, oh, no. I haven't really been walking intimately with God lately. I haven't really been cultivating intimacy with Him. So I'm afraid that that wisdom that I need from Him is kind of distant right now. So I need to really start praying a lot right now. I'm going to start reading my Bible. We're, we're, we're playing catch up, right? We're, we're trying to catch up and to position ourselves before God in order to gain that wisdom that we so desperately want. But you see, when we are in an ongoing way, walking closely with God, developing intimacy with Him, um, committing ourselves to Him in prayer and discerning from His Word, the deep interior life, the deep life with God is being cultivated. And when it comes to the decisions of life, we're not always experiencing them as crises 
or we don't feel the need to catch up. Now, I get it. Sometimes in life it works this way, but we can lessen that gap. We can decrease the frequency by which we find ourselves having to play catch up if we are in an ongoing way cultivating a deep life with God. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, who's a pastor, says this, obsessing over the future is not how God wants us to live because showing us the future is not God's way. His way is to speak to us in the scriptures and transform us by the renewing of our minds. His way is not a crystal ball. His way is wisdom. We should stop looking for God to reveal the future to us and remove all risk from our lives. We should start looking to God, His character, and His promises, and thereby have confidence to take risks for His namesake. Do you, do you get, can you tease out some of the implications of this? If we are regularly reflecting on the character of God and His promises as they are revealed to us in His Word, if we are regularly coming to Him in prayer and rolling the weight of our decisions onto Him, I'm not saying that every decision that we're faced with becomes crystal clear. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we are going to be more able, more apt. It's going to be a quicker process for us to, be, to discern and, and, and to know which way God is leading. So submit to God. The third principle is seek counsel. Seek counsel. Proverbs 11.14 when there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. I love that. In an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And then finally, Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. I wonder if this is a more challenging one than submit to God. Because maybe it's easier for us to accept that we need to submit to God. Because we might think that, well, I can do that in private. I can do... I can exercise that level of dependence without anyone necessarily knowing. But to seek counsel, to actually go to others, is an admission that I don't have it all figured out, that I lack wisdom, that I need help from other people who are actually just as flawed as I am. So in order to seek counsel, we have to be humble. We have to be humble. That's what it demands. That's what it requires. It demands humility. And I struggle with this um, uh, in, in my life. And, and it can be ugly. Um, I, uh, let me give you this example. I, I'm, sometimes I wonder if I'm too transparent, um, but I think it's helpful to make things real for you so you can identify um, we recently, um, a few months ago, brought Mike Tolliver onto um, our ministry team, and his title is Director of Discipleship and Ministry Development. 
And Wayne Margie and I have been meeting with Mike recently because Mike is really gifted um, in systems thinking. And he has um, been so incredibly helpful in thinking us think through things. And I'm so glad, I'm so thankful, and I, I see how this is going to lead us to um, become healthier and to thrive as a church. But then there's a part of me often that does this. Why, why couldn't I have figured that out? What if Wayne and Margie think Mike's better than I am? I haven't told them about this yet. So there you go. What's going on? It's ugliness in my own heart. It's pride. It's this, it's almost inexplicable, right? Why would I, why would I have this going on? It's this, this insecurity of not wanting to admit and being okay with the fact that Hey, of course, of course, I don't know everything. I don't have it all together. We need each other. And that's really the point of this, that God has not left us alone. He's, first of all, given us himself, his presence through his word, but most especially through Jesus, who dwells with us by the Holy Spirit. But he's also not left us alone in the sense that he's given us one another. He's given us a family. And... I wonder if we don't really lean into this family in the way that we should. And I wonder how much of it has to do with pride, pride, lack of humility. That we think that if we ask for help or if we ask for guidance as we face this, this, this decision, people will think that we're not smart enough. People will think that we aren't wise. Well, guess what? That's a risk that you take. There may be people who think that. But for the people who think that, they're overlooking their own um, lack of wisdom and smarts. We're all in this together. But there's something to say. Uh, again, I love how uh, Proverbs 16 or Proverbs uh, 12, uh, 11, 14 puts it. In an abundance of counselors, there is, catch the word? I feel like lots of different words could have been used. There is safety safety. As we come to our brothers and sisters for help in decision-making process, there is safety. Why is that? Or, or what's the alternative? That when we make decisions on our own, relying on our limited perspective, the wisdom that we have, it's not safe. It's not safe. Because we have blind spots we have limited perspectives, and by coming to our brothers and sisters in God's family and sharing that we have this big decision coming up and asking for them to speak into it in, in, in how God, the Holy Spirit, might lead them, it actually leads us into greater levels of safety because we're getting multiple perspectives. We're getting counsel from not just our own thoughts or our own hearts that, can, that are so often bent. Seek counsel. The last one is surrender control. Now, you might think that surrender control, isn't that the same thing as submit to God? And I actually had to figure that out too. Like, am I just saying the same thing here? And I'm not. Surrender control. I want to, this is where I want to dive back into Proverbs 16 and look at three verses or two verses. I have, I have two verses listed twice. So it's two verses, all right? 
I don't know if any of that made sense. I have it figured out in my notes. You don't have to figure it out. Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then Proverbs 16.9, and this Proverbs 1 through uh, 9, this section of scripture that we use as our scripture reading, is a section in this proverb, and it's, it serves as bookends. Both are talking about plans, and verse 9 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. What this proverb, proverbs are saying, again, it's not, these verses aren't claiming that we shouldn't plan. They're actually saying that we should, saying that's a normal part of being human. That, that's what human beings do. Plans belong to the human heart. Um, and then verse 9, many are the plans in the mind of a person. This is normal. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Now, of course, as fallen human beings, it can get bent and um, messed up, but planning is a part of being made in the image of God. It's not bad. Scripture's not telling us to not plan. But rather, what it's saying is to recognize that God rules and overrules. That yes, you can make your plans and you can pursue your plans, but at the end of the day, God is sovereign and he establishes his purposes. Now, this was the mystery that we got into a little bit last week. God, the scripture tells us that God is completely sovereign over life, meaning that he is completely in control. But scripture also tells us that we are responsible decision makers that our choices matter. How do these two things interact exactly? Well, that's the mystery. I can't tease it out. I can't say this is exactly how they relate. It's a mystery. And Scripture calls us to lean into it by faith and to live. To live. To live into it. To not fret and worry and try to figure it all out, but to live into it by faith in God, his character, and his promises. Theologians distinguish between God's um, revealed will and his hidden will. His revealed will and his hidden will. His revealed will is what we have in Scripture. God has revealed to us everything that we need to know in life. Who he is, who we are, what the deal is with the world in which we live, and most importantly, how to enter into right relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. God's hidden will is, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry? How do I know to take this job or that job? Should I sell the house or keep the house? Should I buy a house or rent? You can't go to Scripture and get the definitive answers to those questions. This is the area of wisdom. And this is why God in his providence and his goodness has given us wisdom literature to help us navigate these gray areas of life, these uncertainties, to help us to know how to take his revealed will and apply it as we're trying to discern what his hidden will might be in certain situations. Let me give you an example of this. And, and here's a point that I want to make. Oftentimes, we are faced with, let's just say, two decisions, to keep it simpler. 
And it's not necessarily the case that one decision is wrong and one is right. They both could be right decisions. Here's an example of that. Uh, Four and a half years ago, I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Uh, The next day, I met with uh, the orthopedic surgeon, and he said, all right, here's the deal. Your options, and I thought, options? I didn't know I was going to be given options. You can allow it to heal on its own, or you can get surgery. And I was like, what? It can heal on its own, and that's a thing, and I didn't get surgery. It happened. It is a thing. My Achilles um, healed on its own. I chose not to get surgery. But I remember in that office room, you know how I am with decisions, Um, I I shared about that in the introduction. So I went in not thinking I was going to have to figure something out, and suddenly I have a decision to make. So I go home and Googling stuff, and I made the decision that I made. Well, recently, uh, a good friend of mine tore his Achilles. He reached out to me. Um, He chose to not get surgery. He ended up having complications, and ended up six weeks later having to get surgery, which meant that those first six weeks were basically meaningless. Not meaningless, but meaningless in terms of his physical recovery with his Achilles. Did I make a right decision and he made a wrong decision? I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think that was the category. This wasn't a moral decision. This was an issue of seeking out God's hidden will, using discernment, trying to figure out Wisdom, and we can think of many examples of this in life. I remember um, when I uh, graduated from seminary and moved back to Delaware, and I was faced with multiple options for where to go serve and engage in ministry. And here's the, the funny thing, and I think this illustrates the point about we make our plans, but God establishes his purposes. So I knew I wanted to plant a church in an urban context, and I had a hunch at the time that it was Wilmington, where I'm from. And so I was convinced that the best pathway, what makes the most sense, is to go do a church planting internship in a city. So I had friends in Philadelphia who had planted a church, and I thought for sure that's the obvious pathway. Go get some experience in an urban context there, and then they'll help me plant a church in Wilmington. I ended up in a suburban church for four and a half years. Would would I have made the wrong decision um, had I gone to Philadelphia? Nope. Convinced of it. Nope. Wouldn't Wouldn't have been the wrong decision. It would have taken me down a very different path, and who now, who knows where it would have led. And now, from my vantage point, I'm not so sure that it would have brought me to Wilmington. But God wanted to bring me to Wilmington. And so I made my plans, but God established his larger purposes. That's the point here. And so it's not always the case that we're faced with a decision that is right and a decision that is wrong. We need wisdom. And let me end with this. Beyond wisdom, what we need is, remember this principle is, what is it? Surrender, control, trust. At the end of the day, when it comes to decision-making and planning, we need trust. And trust is so difficult for us to exercise because trust requires us to not have confidence in ourselves. 
an unhealthy level of confidence. It draws us out of arrogance. It's risky, all right? That, that's why you feel what you feel in the decision-making processes in life. You, you feel like there's so much risk. You feel like there's vulnerability. That's not abnormal. It, it's meant to be that way. And what God desires for us is for us to lean into the risk, to lean into the vulnerability, to exercise wisdom to the best of our ability, but at the end of the day, to trust that he knows what he's doing and that he's good and that he's telling a beautiful story with your life. Which ultimately brings us to the gospel. God is trust worthy. How do I know that? How do we know that? We don't have to try to figure out God's hidden will to learn this. God has revealed this to us in his word and in history. He gave us his son to live, to die, to rise again in our place. And in his dying, Jesus died for all of our sin. Jesus died for all of our bad choices. Jesus died for all of our poor planning. And when our trust is in him, when we've surrendered our lives to him, we are identified with him. What is true of him becomes true of us. And we are freed from the burden of having any longer to carry with us the penalty for all of our poor choices and decision-making. Now, so we... Sometimes we still have to deal with the consequences, right? But we are delivered from the penalty, from the judgment of it. The gospel ultimately, uniquely, enables us to be risky decision makers. And by risky, I don't mean rushing and just making decisions quickly, take into account all of the other principles we covered, but the gospel enables us to be risky decision makers in that it frees us, it empowers us to step out into faith and actually decide to move forward. Could end up being a poor choice. May take you down a path that you didn't imagine. But God is good. God loves you. He's proven it to you in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are trustworthy. Give us the ability to see that, to believe that, and to live in light of it. Your word is true. Your promises are true. You love your people, and you got us. You have us covered by the work of Jesus, and you desire to lead us into freedom. You desire to lead us into truth. I pray that you would help us to slow down to submit to you, to seek the counsel of those around us, and to surrender control, trusting that we rest in your love and you are working out your purposes in and through us. We thank you for Jesus, the one who has demonstrated your love and your commitment to us. We pray that you would give us a deeper desire to bring glory to him and to love our neighbor through the decisions and plans that we make. We pray in Christ's name, amen.